Welcome back to another episode of the HC Hive podcast. This is Sue, and today we have Dr. Ariaga here with us. So Dr. Ariaga is the Associate Chair of Graduate Affairs in the School of Interactive Computing. She's also a Senior Research Scientist here and has been at Tech since 2007. She also advises uh, a lot of MSHCI master's students each year. So she advised nine students last year and several this year as well. And she teaches a number of HCI-related courses here at Georgia Tech. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Dr. Ariaga. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so you're really well known for your research in chronic care management with technology, both within the program and then also across campus in various disciplines um, and outside of tech as well. Um, but for prospective students who might not be as familiar with your research, would you mind sharing just a little bit about what you do? Sure. So um, I'm in the mobile health space. So how do we use basically everyday technology, everyday mobile technology to help individuals manage their chronic care. And, you know, chronic care, we usually think about physical ailments, but I make it much broader. Mm -hmm. So what about individuals that have developmental disabilities, like um, autism, mm -hmm. or what about issues with mental health? So um, I have a big project with PTSD. And I always tell my students that there are uh, basically three gaps that I'm designing for. When we have people that have chronic care issues, you have patient engagement, which is um, a big problem because people don't take care of themselves the way they should. And the question is why? Can we build technology to facilitate this? Mm -hmm. Then when we have chronic care, we have situations where people are visiting the doctor three or four times a year, but there's uh, no information about what's happened in that gap. Mm -hmm. So that's continuity of care. So how do we build a system that bridges from one appointment to the other. And then the third one is how do we mediate communication and decision making at the point of care? So now you get to the doctor and the doctor says, how are you? And you say, I'm fine, <laughs> right? So how is it that we can build systems to bridge those three gaps? And it turns out that these three gaps are really important to care across a variety of needs. Wow, that's really, really awesome. and really. Uh, much needed work, it sounds like, if those those are the big gaps, they seem like really important gaps and major gaps that should be filled. Well, right. We, you know, the, I think the, the data, and you can correct this later, but something like 20% of the GDP is in, uh, in health. Mm -hmm. So managing people's health. And so the idea is that, and that's not taking into account all of the suffering, right? So we right. can put a dollar figure, but what about all the suffering that's happening because of this? And so it is really important. And here's where design, right, and knowing how to how to do it the right way that's evidence-based, so the kind of things we teach here in the MSHCI become really important. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's um, some, you know, psychology kind of component to this, um, obviously a healthcare component, design component. So how did you find yourself in between and in the mix of all of this together? So I think there's a couple of there's a couple of things. I always um, when students first ask me, you know, what's HCI, right? And people might give you different definitions. I say, well, when I meet other, um, sometimes even other computer scientists, um, I say, look, in HCI, our goal is to build systems that are useful and usable. Mm -hmm. And so, how do we do that? Well, um, there are many approaches, but um, in my lab and in the MSHCI pro uh, program, we really take this human-centered approach. And so the idea is that there's gonna be some kind of discovery, right? Um, so requirements gathering, formative. We're gonna do some uh, 
Once we figure out what's the space, we're going to do some uh, design, then we're going to do some prototyping, and then we're going to do some evaluation. And if you think about this, this is each of these areas, and of course it's iterative, has a certain set of skills. As a psychologist, I'm really good at evaluation. I'm really good at you know formative evaluation and summative evaluation. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, that was a good space for me to come into. And so that's what I tell students when they ask me about, well, you know, what do I do in the MSHCI program, or I come from this area or that area. I said, well, a lot of what we hope to do in the MSHCI program is for you to have an understanding of what that profile is for a user experience researcher or either an industry or, um, or if you think you might want to continue and do this in academia and see, you know, what's your skill set. And then that in this program, we, we give you an opportunity Right? So, for example, somebody coming in with a psych degree, they might want to uh, bone up their uh, prototyping skills or um, their design skills. Mm -hmm. And so then you take those classes so that when you get out, you have a, a better portfolio of the kind of skills you need to have in order to be successful in the arts. So in that sense, you know, that's kind of my strength. And in, now that I'm in academia, right, I stay within, um, on the one hand, I stay within... Uh, my lane, right? So I, mm -hmm. I am more of an evaluations person, a design, a research design person. But again, have, knowing enough about how good design happens makes it um, easier to build systems that are useful and usable. Gotcha, gotcha. So uh, would you say that that has been the approach that you've taken all along? Or was there maybe a shift somewhere along the way where you started taking... Definitely. Well, I think that um, having come in from you know, a psych background, the idea of what, I have a favorite article and I'll, I'll give it to you so you can post it, sure. but there's this notion of what's your accountability when you're a scientist and what's your accountability when you're a designer, mm -hmm. right? And then what are your deliverables when you're one or the other? And so when you're a scientist, which is, you know, what I knew from doing, neuro, from doing neuroscience, it was, okay, I'm going to do this, this experiment and I'm going to, you know, manipulate this variable and I'm going to know what the next step is, right? So my deliverables are, are, very, are very much um, predicated on the scientific method and what, you know, the area is doing. Whereas in design, it's very different. My deliverables might not be a replicable outcome, right? right. Because again, we have different, uh, different deliverables. So my uh, deliverables might be design implications or design guidelines. So mm -hmm. things that are less on the one hand, quantitative and maybe precise, but on the other hand, true to the goal of building systems that are useful and usable. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, this, this shift from understanding what it means to be a scientist and what it means to be a design researcher definitely took some understanding, um, but it comes back to where's my accountability? Mm -hmm. And my accountability is with the community of, of practice that I have, which is, you know, where I publish. Gotcha, gotcha. So, but also being in health with my colleagues, right? With my, mm -hmm. uh, uh, with the people I work with in pulmonology or um, uh, mental health or elder care. Mm -hmm. So what would be some of the, the challenges um, that you think maybe someone switching or pivoting into the field of design might face? So I think the first thing is this, this question, and, and that's why I like this, this particular article, there's a couple of them, but this notion of, you know, what is 
a valid data-driven process, mm-hmm. right? So when I first got here and I would hear a study that had an N of, let's say a scale, say N, and I had, you know, nine or 10 people in the study, I'd read it, I'd say like, what is this? Like, how do they, you know, what's their stats? What's their p-value, right? right so the kind right. of wonk things that scientists look for, right. or social scientists look for. And from, and then immersing myself in the literature and in the practice of understanding that if I have data saturation and I have that with six users, then that's, that's good. And that will get me to a design that's useful and usable. So it comes back, for me, it was, at first, it was trying to understand this thing with my old toolkit and my own kind of cognitive profile about what it means to do something that is um, worthy of whatever Mm -hmm. field. And again, the idea is that now, for uh, the area I'm in, you know, I know what it means to be accountable you know, to these colleagues, and so that's what it is. But I think that was probably the hardest part, was moving from a kind of scientific background where I wanted a lot of precision, mm-hmm. and understanding that when you work with humans and when you work with design, sometimes things are imprecise, but mm-hmm. that doesn't make them any less, even to use the same word, valid. Right, right. And then I would also imagine for you specifically, maybe you would have faced like an identity crisis of sorts of being coming in as a psychologist, but then also maybe having these different... Um, components to your work? I think it was definitely, I think the, um, I think it's mutual because on the one hand, it's it's almost like that old adage of you can't tell the forest from the trees. Mm-hmm. I would be speaking to HCI colleagues and not being able to communicate even what my questions were. So now they're defensive because I'm saying things like, well, how do you know this is reliable? How do you know this is valid? Right? Right. And on the one hand, them not having the language to explain to me, oh, you know, you know, these are our values. Why? Because they're so ingrained, they're so second nature. So I think that, um, uh, I think it was, I mean, there were some times that it was, again, trying to understand how to communicate in between. And I think that anytime you do interdisciplinary work, you have that, right? So we have the same kind of issues when we talk to some of our um, clinical partners, right? They come in and they want us, I always say they want us to build, you know, Instagram for them. It's not going to happen, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Not only that, but our calendar is very much tied to our, um, you know, the number of students we have, the time of the year, right. the their outcomes and, and what they see as important deliverables. And so we're not IT support on the other hand, right? So mm-hmm. that's I, I think that's part and parcel of being in interdisciplinary spaces that you have to uh, become adroit at being able to communicate what these differences are. And then why would you build this better? Because mm-hmm. you do have that interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. So is this interdisciplinary area um, always been your target ever since you started your career? Or was there something that kind of shifted you towards this direction? Yeah, so I, you know, my, um, so one of the classes I teach is Intro to Cognitive Science. And so my training was in developmental cognitive neuroscience. So I looked at babies and I looked at, you know, brain response and I looked at epistemology. So what's the nature of human knowledge? And the big question, questions. Yeah, big <laughs> questions and not so big ones. And so the, you know, I always say that my, you know, my job talk was mathematicians in the cradle, fact or fiction. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's out there. And so I always say that the thing that was powerful about moving into 
DHCI space is that all of a sudden, what I did matters mm. in a sense that's very direct. And you know, there are colleagues that do kind of future computing. But for me, I work in the mobile health space because this is technology that is robust and that we can use right now and that we can you know, improve quality of life and you know, even improve health. Mm-hmm. That's, that to me is really powerful. So from coming from a background where I was doing, again, very kind of philosophical, esoteric understandings of the human mind, to being able to think about building something that's useful and usable now mm-hmm. that can improve, you know, veterans' ability to recover from post-traumatic stress disorder or children's ability to improve their lung function because they have moderate to severe asthma. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. So I think that that um, it's incredibly rewarding being in this very practical space. And definitely very real, too. It doesn't get any more real than these types of issues. That's right. And not only that, but, you know... Um, I think one of the things I like best about the research I do is it reminds me of, so here I am, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make the world a better place one computational system at a time, and yet I have colleagues that are in the emergency room, like saving somebody's life. At that point, how serious can I take what I do, right? right? On the one hand, I'm going to be serious because I'm going to say, look, this has real life and death implications. But on the other hand, it really forces me to, you know, to do a kind of reality check and to say, well, you know, if you don't get into the hospital this week, we'll get into the hospital next week. Mm-hmm. It helps me to understand that, you know, back to the interdisciplinarity, there are levels of, um, I think, question of accountability. Right. You know, the accountability that my colleague has being an emergency room doctor, right? That really tempers kind of my desire to do something fluffy and, and um computationally more creative, but maybe not practical and robust. Right. So again, it, it tempers my goals as a designer, but in a way that I think is important because that's where I want to be. I want to be in, you know, um, in that emergency department. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you found that place too. Yeah, it's a good place. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about how you've been working with the program too, because you're pretty involved with um, a lot of the students and the projects and all that. So I think that... Um, Obviously, I'm impartial, but I, one of the things I love about this program is I think on the one hand, you know, you can have a program that is based on a set of classes. You take the classes, you get the A, and then you move on your merry way. Mm-hmm. It's very different to take those classes and then to, have, then to have to build something, then to have to show, right, that you can extrapolate all those classroom skills into a real-world project that has a set of deliverables. And so I think that's the, the, the most important um, and uh, most unique parts of, of our HCI program. So sure, and back to the kind of toolkit. If you've worked in UX before, or maybe you were an undergrad that has a very strong HCI program, and you're the tech, right? <laughs> then by the time you graduate, you say, oh, okay, so I need to hone my prototyping skills. I'm gonna go and do a one-year you know, one of these one-year masters is going to give me that skill set, I'm going to be off. Okay, that's somebody's reality. If that's your reality, then our program is not right for you. But if your reality is you perhaps are moving into HCI from another field, or perhaps you didn't have, um, or perhaps you're a very good designer, but you don't know much about research, or you don't know, you don't know much about, uh, you know, 
prototyping, then you need the time. Mm -hmm. So realistically speaking, right, this is the place for you. And then it's not going to be enough that you take those classes. Now you're going to be able to show that you have a, a, a kind of a, a complete toolkit. Mm-hmm. And that's the great part. And so what that means for me is, um, so I have, and faculty are different. So I, um, I think that, you know, people's experience with me might be very different from people's experience with other faculty. But for me, back to accountability, I am, I am going to know that you and I have had a successful uh, relationship if at the end of your time with me, we have a deliverable that somebody else cares about, mm. right? And so, for example, you would have seen that I think now we have, you know, four peer-reviewed publications at you know top conferences, nice. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have, um, I think this year I started doing something different, which is we had I think also four um, work in progress at CHI, which is or CSUW, you know, the top HCI mm-hmm. uh, conferences, and again. If you're able to get that nod, that means that you've done something that somebody else cares about. Mm-hmm. And that's important to me. So for me, the deliverables that students work, that um, students are able to um, provide are going to be very much in the academic space. That is, we're gonna have those papers. Mm-hmm. And um, again, for this is important for certain um, you know, for students, certain students that might be, for example, wanting to go into um, uh, academia, but also back to that deliverable that shows that you can do the work. Right. And so I've done things that are very practical, so I'll, I'll give you two examples. So, of course, you know, I've done a lot of work that's uh, looking at, um, one of the last ones we did was looking at a VR, so in the emergency department, kids that come in having an asthma attack. So how do we educate them? And so I had um, one of the students develop uh, the design for um, an augmented reality, kind of like asthma go, Mm -hmm. right? So where they're sitting in their room and they're able to learn about these, uh, this asthma management, as opposed to watching a video with people that are, you know, 50 years older than they are. So how do you do that? (laughs) And then there's also back to the kind of interesting academic side one of my favorite projects with uh with a student that now works for a rideshare company i don't know if i'm able to use the rideshare but anyways so she did a really interesting study looking at emotional labor so what's emotional labor in the gig economy Mm. right and not just that but what are the design implications how do we design apps that are more in some sense um democratic Mm -hmm. that put the that don't just put all the labor on the driver, right? right? And right now, a lot of that emotional labor is the driver. So how do we how would we design other possibilities so that the app also benefits the driver and not just the the rider? So you know that was really you know really great. It was really super interesting things I'd never thought about. But again, came with her um, with her background and <clears throat> again. She was able to take that, you know, now she works for one of these rideshare companies. That's awesome. And definitely, you know, again, a very real kind of problem that you just encounter in your day-to-day life. Right. So just to kind of wrap up, 
uh, if there are any prospective students or new students who might be interested in working with you, mm-hmm. um, what would you recommend that they do? So uh, if you want to work with me, I always say, I say to every student that comes to visit me that anytime you have an opportunity to work with the faculty member, your goal should be to impress them. So if you're not having the kind of semester where you can impress a faculty member, then don't show up because they're going to remember you. So I always say, I'm always ready to be impressed. <laughs> and, um, you know, I will set up, again, because coming from my background, I have all these rubrics to make sure we're successful. Mm-hmm. But um, it, 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 does, it does require that you have the mindset that you, that you want to succeed and that you want something that... Um, that's going to go beyond, you know, your ability to check boxes that you did what you had to do to graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm in the health space, so that's another thing that's a prerequisite. Every once in a while, I do something like emotional labor work. That's mm-hmm. just so fascinating, I couldn't say no. <laughs> but um, most of the time, again, in order for it to be real and to have impact, then it has to work within, again, my kind of toolkit of, of what I'm interested in and how to move things forward. And so I would say if you're, if you... If you care about applied design, if you cared about health, if you care about having a deliverable that's meaningful beyond box checking, then I'm the one for you. <laughs> awesome. Well, that all sounds um, sounds great. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time, and um, I'm sure this will be very helpful for people who are trying to get to know um, some of the faculty on campus a little bit better. All right, go Jackets.